How's it going, everybody? Let's try that again. How's it going, everybody? Okay. My, my name is Ryan Alexander, and I serve as a lead pastor here. I want to give a shout out uh, to all of you in Shakopee and Lakeville and all of you who are joining us online. Uh, we believe the Lord led you here. Special welcome to, to any guests. We're always so honored uh, when guests are with us, and we would love to connect with you and get you connected as quickly um, as, as possible. This time, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. Thank you. Uh, for your faithful giving and, and generosity. And while they're doing so, I want to talk about a miracle. A, mini, a Minneapolis miracle. A Minneapolis miracle. All right. So I actually want to talk about three Minneapolis miracles, but let's start with the most obvious one. All right. Did you hear about the game last weekend? Anybody? I mean, it's like the dumbest question ever asked in the history of Minnesota, right? Um, Jen and I, we were getting on an airplane because we had spent some time in Mexico without kids. Am I smiling? Anyway, uh, so we got on the plane. It was halftime. It's 17 nothing, and it was looking pretty good for the Vikes. And then I was falling on my phone. It wasn't looking so good on those updates that I was getting. And then there was 10 seconds left. On the wrong side of the 50-yard line, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to change my message topic to grief and mourning for this coming weekend. And then it said, game over, and, and I, I was like, okay, game over. And then I saw the score, and I thought, either this is a mistake or this is a miracle that just happened. And the guy behind me is like, you got to see this. He had the, the play at the end there, Diggs making that catch. I think we even have a slide of it uh, where he made that catch and was passing it around. Now, I know what Diggs was thinking in that moment. He was thinking, we are not going to leave this in the hands of a kicker this time, all right? All right that's happened one too many times, and, uh, and so he took it to the house, right? And it was, it was a miracle. And it's been fun to hear the Vikings you know, point to God and, and Case Keenum. Did you hear that quote? He said, one of the top three moments of his life, first giving his life to Christ, getting married, and then this play. I don't know if they have any kids, do you? But how are the kids feeling right now? They're number... Number four, number four, all right. So it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. And there's a game. Did you know there's a game tonight as well? Okay. Uh, that's one miracle. Another miracle I want to talk about is how God is moving miraculously in people's hearts here at Hosanna this month to give above and beyond uh, themselves and above and beyond uh, what they're regularly giving uh, to their church home. Um, and, and we're giving above and beyond to combat two major injustices in the world today, hunger and human trafficking. And, and we're, we're doing this uh, in partnership with two, two organizations called Feed My Starving Children and, and Trafficking Justice. Every dollar raised for this big gift before the big game is going to go to these two organizations. And so we are going to see a miracle take place. I really believe it. The big gift before the big game. We're going to have a super offering um, next weekend, a special offering, opportunity to give. There are opportunities to give uh, before and after as well if you can't be here to make an impact, a miraculous impact in the lives of people who are just waiting for us to step in. Amen? Amen. Let's be a part of a miracle. And then there's one more uh, miracle. I think it is a miracle. You might consider it a miracle. You know that I, I grew up in Seattle, all right? And uh, what the Lord's been saying to me recently is that you can have a, a childhood team that you root for and a hometown team that you root for, okay? I think the Lord's saying that. I don't know. And, uh, and so a couple years ago, some nice folks from Hosanna gave me a Vikings jersey, and I've been waiting for the perfect moment to bust it out. So here you go right here. Alexander. You know, there's an Alexander on the... 
He's my cousin. Not really. Uh, he's not really. Uh, so don't, after this week, don't ever say that there are no such thing as miracles. Okay? Promise me that. Promise me that. We're in a series called Homemade. And in this series, we, we've had a theme verse that's run all the way through the series. It's from Proverbs 24, 3. And I love this verse. It's, it's hanging on our home office wall. I got it at Hobby Lobby. Why did I mention that again? Anyway, um, here, here let's, read it to, let's read this verse together. Proverbs 24, 3. Read it with me. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Love that verse. There's so much there. The word, the word house, it means household. It means a group of people who make up a household. But what does that group of people look like specifically? Whatever your household looks like. It doesn't specify the household. You know, maybe you have one person in your household. Maybe you have one too many people in your household, that 25-year-old college graduate who's still playing video games in your basement. But whatever your household looks like, God cares about your household. And this verse is, is about... Uh, whatever your household looks like in this series, we've had every household uh, imaginable in mind. So household. And then the words wisdom and understanding, there's an implied application there. You know, an applied wisdom, an applied understanding that God wants to give us to establish homes. Skills or tools. So this series is about these tools that God wants to give us to make our homes in, in such a way, establish our homes in such a way, build them in such a way that they are, they're, they're made by God. That they're God, uh, made by God kind of homes. And so we've been looking at these different tools and I just want to review a few of them with you from this series. Uh, three that we've talked about so far. The first tool of homes made by God is the leave tool. <laughs> Sometimes in order to go to the home that God wants to show you, the new home that he's establishing for you, you have to leave some things behind. Just like Abraham, you've got to step out in faith and leave some things behind from the homes that made you, your families of origins, and step into this new, new home that God is making for you. It doesn't mean we leave everything behind. There are good things that we preserve and that we bring with us. There are good bones, you know, but, but, but we have to leave some things behind in order to go to the new home that God wants to show us, the leave tool. Then there's the blessed tool. Homes made by God know this, they know this, they know this, that we are not blessed just to keep blessing ourselves and enjoy the blessings of our life and be selfish. Homes made by God are blessed to be a blessing. They, they understand everything they've been blessed with comes from God and is and, and to be used by God. Blessed to be a blessing. In fact, this was, this was God's plan. <laughs> to bless the world in so many ways that, that one home, Abraham's home, would be blessed and, and he would bless other homes and they would bless other homes and they would bless other homes. That's, that's how it works. Homes made by God. And then there's the wrestle tool. We heard a, just an outstanding message last weekend, Pastor Jared Van Voorst, about wrestling and Jacob wrestling with God. And, and when, we, when we leave room for, for people in our homes to wrestle with some of those big questions of life and even some of the struggles of life, when we leave room for people in our homes, including ourselves, to wrestle, it makes us stronger, and it's part of how we discover our true identity. I've been thinking about this as a, as a parent, that, that I don't want to be too quick to rescue my kids from their struggles, because in part, that's how they're building their struggle muscle, right? Because they will go outside of my home eventually, eventually, and, and inevitably struggle, and they need to have had some practice in working through those struggles and know their true identity, the wrestle Muscle. Now, the, uh, the wrestle tool. The tool we're going to talk about today in Homes Made by God is the bounce tool. So, catch this. Homes made by God are bouncy houses. Right? Or, or, you know, Winnie the Pooh. What do tiggers, tiggers do best? 
they bounce. And that is what the people of God, uh, followers of Jesus Christ, believers, one of the things they do best as well. Isn't it true that, that all of us at some point of our lives, and when I say all, I mean all, we all kind of fall down sometimes. We all get down sometimes. We all even get knocked down from time to time. And when we're down, there are really two possibilities from there. And one of the possibilities looks like this. It's a medicine ball. <laughs> Compliments of Pastor Tony in Shakopee, who actually has muscles. That's why I had to ask him for it. <laughs> we, one possibility is that we fall and we stay down. We stay there. There's another possibility. Now I asked our worship planning team, can you get me a ball that bounces as high as where you dropped from? And they said that defies the laws of physics, apparently. <laughs> so I'll have to simulate it. But another possibility is there's a fall, get down, and boom, you bounce back up, maybe to where you kind of fell from or got down from. And with God, you can bounce even higher than where you started. Bounce. Homes made by God are bouncy houses. Another word for this is resilience. You know, this word resilience. That, that, that God wants to give us this gift, this tool of resilience, of bounciness. And it is one of the most important tools that, that we are given by God to, to make homes that are made by God. And it's one of the greatest gifts we can give those people in our homes, learning how to be resilient as they go off wherever they go after they leave our homes. So we're going to talk about resilience. Now, we, we've been looking at a passage of scripture throughout this series, Matthew chapter 1, in, in which we find the genealogy of Jesus, the family line of Jesus, the household of Jesus. And, and the people from Abraham to Jesus are listed in there who carry on the family line. And I need to tell you that a number of those people have incredible resilience and bounce, bounciness. In fact, if they don't, bounce back from some of their circumstances, that, that family line, there's going to be a, a key link in the chain that, that isn't there. And it would look very different than it does as we read it today. Number of individuals, I wanna talk about three examples of this resilience. They're all female women, in, they're all women in the, in the family line of Jesus, which is remarkable because certainly in those days, and sometimes today, but certainly in those days, it was a male-dominated society. And so for women to be relied upon to carry on the family line of Jesus was just nothing short of remarkable. And the fact that they were women means that they had more to bounce back from in the society that they lived in. I'm gonna talk about three. One, Tamar. Tamar is a lesser known figure in the Bible, but, but Tamar, uh, her story is that she is the granddaughter-in-law of Jacob, this person we talked about last week, who later in her life becomes the daughter-in-law of Jacob. How does that happen? This is racy. I mean, who needs Daniel Steele when you've got the Bible, right? People still read Daniel Steele? I don't know. My mom did growing up. Not to me, but she read. She read uh, <laughs> sorry, mom. She did. Not to me. Uh, but it gets even better because uh, Tamar, she marries uh, two, one, you know, the older brother who dies and then the second brother who dies. Neither one of them are willing to have children with her. It gets kind of graphic. I'm not going to go into detail there. And, and then eventually, and she is put in the vulnerable position because they both die of being a widow and childless. There's no more vulnerable position for a woman to be in in those days. And yet, she, so she is down, but she does not stay down. 
She does not stay here. She, she bounces back. She gets put in a compromising position, but she has children, including Perez, who becomes one of the key links, her son, one of the key links in the family line of Jesus. Resilience. Huh. Then there's Ruth. Some of you may have heard of Ruth. Um, Ruth is down because she is an outsider, at least by Israelite standards. She's a Moabite. Moabites are direct descendants of Lot. Abraham and Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. He took his nephew into his household. We talked about that two weeks ago. And, and then they eventually split and went separate directions. And, and the Moabites descended from Lot. So Ruth is a Moabite. Her husband also dies. So she is down. But she doesn't stay down. She, she remains loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they go back to uh, uh, where Naomi is from, and they um, eventually meet Boaz, who's an Israelite, and, and Boaz and Ruth get married, in the sense reuniting these you know, two parts of a family that split. <laughs> Talk about resilience, bounce. And she goes on to become the, the daughter-in-law of, of, of the person we're going to talk about next. But if either one of those first two, Tamar or Ruth, don't bounce back, this family line of Jesus is a very different story. Let's talk about Rahab, the third, more in depth here. It's true that she's resilient, Rahab, but she, she is probably the most surprising inclusion in the family line of Jesus, in part because she's a woman, but, but also because of the type of woman she is. And we'll see that in just a moment. We're going to look at a passage um, and part of Rahab's story in Joshua chapter 2. It's on page 130 in the Red Bible if you're following along, if you grab one of those on the way in. A little background here. So this, this passage occurs right before the Israelites enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. 40 years of anticipating this moment of entering into the promised land. 40 years. It would almost be like waiting 40 years to go back to the Super Bowl. I think it's 41, but anyway, it's a long time. And they've been waiting, they've been waiting. And, and Joshua, the successor to Moses, he learned something from the first go at this 40 years earlier, that, that Moses sent 12 people into the promised land as spies. And two come back and say, let's do this, we're in. And 10 come back and say, no, 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 we can't do this. There are giants in the land, they're afraid. So what Joshua has learned is it's better to have a couple of people spies who are all in than more spies who are kind of halfway sort of wondering if we can do this. It's better to have more, uh, fewer people that are all in than more people who are halfway committed. And that's what Joshua learns. And he sends out two spies instead of 12. Here we go. Verse one. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho, the city that they're going to conquer first. So the two men set out and came to a house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Whoa, okay. Let's stop there for a second. Because here are these two spies. They're going into the promised land as they've been instructed to do. And the first place they go, logically, is to the home of a woman of ill repute. Now, this, this part of the story has, has uh, confused and even embarrassed uh, believers for, for centuries. I mean, how can this be that they would go here? Uh, even to the point where some biblical scholars have, have interpreted Rahab not to be what we just read she is, but an innkeeper instead. 
And I'm here to tell you, unless Julia Roberts was an innkeeper and pretty woman, Rahab is not an innkeeper, okay? She's not. So what is this, what is this about? Uh, and, and here's what I wanna say. We should not be confused or surprised or embarrassed that Joshua sends these two men to the home of a woman who is on the outskirts. We find out later she's, she, her home's in the wall on the outskirts of town. In fact, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should go, oh, that sounds familiar. There's another Joshua or Yeshua's Jesus Hebrew name who sends people who are on the margins, who are on the outskirts, who no one else will go to because it would be too scandalous to, to be seen there. Jesus goes there himself and he sends people not to participate in what's happening there, but to liberate people, to bring a message of good news, of hope, a message that says God cares about you too. It's why we're partnering with Trafficking Justice because there are people even today who are in Rahab's position and God's saying, I'm sending you there, the places that no one else will go. That's what the followers of Yeshua do. And, and so the first Joshua sends people there too. I think they were also probably thinking, well, if anyone sees us here, they're not gonna say anything about it, right? Like who's gonna go, guess who I saw at Rahab's house the other night? Yeah, it's okay to laugh at that. All right. But someone didn't get the memo, verse two. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men up in the attic, we find out later, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from, which is an out and out lie. Then she goes on to fabricate this whole false story about where they went. It's like one of those cartoons or scenes from a movie where people are chasing each other and someone goes, they went that way, chase them. And they chase them outside the city, city walls. And they're not there, they're up in her attic. What's going on here? Is the Bible condoning lying? Not necessarily. What's on display here is the, this, this ethic from the ancient Middle East, the ethic of hospitality. Hospitality, it was so huge to, to bring guests into your home and treat them like they're your own family, even to the point where you're willing to put your life on the line, which is what Rahab was willing to do here. If they found out she was lying, they'd kill her. And, and so this ethic of hospitality, I think we can learn something from that. And so then verse eight, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. Now let's be clear. There's typically only one reason why a woman like Rahab is going to see men at night. But there's no hint of that here. There's no sense that that's what's happening here. What's happening here is that Rahab sees an opportunity to what? To bounce. To bounce out of the situation that she's in, the position that she's in, to bounce back, to bounce out of that situation that she finds herself in. Well, how'd she end up there? We don't know. Maybe she was abandoned by her husband or her husband died. Maybe exploited in some way in that male-dominated culture. Certainly, as a woman, generally speaking, it was gonna be a lot harder for her to bounce out of there. But she sees an opportunity to bounce, to, to bounce out of there. And part of the opportunity is seeing these two men have been sent by God. She goes, I, I, I can reach out to them. I can ask for help. It's, here's a, we're gonna talk about this later, but... But in order to bounce, in order to be resilient in our lives, we have to be willing to reach out for help and understand we cannot do it on our own. We can't do it on, no one can, no one. And, and Rahab gets that. And she, she also gets that there is one 
even more, who is bigger than any of the circumstances or challenges that have kept her down. And that's the one uh, she's talking about in verse nine. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. How does she know that? This, This Canaanite harlot from Jericho has faith to say, I know the Lord is going to to give you all that you need to conquer this city. I mean, the spies don't even believe that yet. That's what spies do. They're going to check it out and see, should we try to conquer this city yet? And yet this woman has the faith. Faith in who? The God of bounce, the God of the bounce, the God of resilience, the author of resilience, the giver of resilience, the the one who, who ultimately can make it possible for her to overcome the situation that she's in, both her position in life and and the the, the very real possibility that their whole city is going to be conquered. And in verse seven, 17, they go on to make this pact. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. What's happening here is that the spies tell her that because that, she's emboldened them saying, hey, I think the Lord's gonna give you this city. She gave them that boldness to go back and say, okay, now we can do this and Joshua and the Israelites will come. But when they see the red rope, the scarlet rope hanging out of Rahab's home, they will not conquer or destroy her household. She will be rescued or delivered unlike any of the other households. And, they, and, she, and they're saying, make sure everyone from your family's in there. And then we find out later that that's exactly what happened because in Joshua 6, 25, it says, so Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies. Joshua sent to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So Rahab, who could not have been more down and out, who could not have been more down she, she bounces out of that situation and she becomes a key link in the, in the family line, the lineage of Jesus. In fact, she, she goes on to, to become the, the mother-in-law of Ruth. We talked about earlier, Ruth and Boaz, her son Boaz. And then, and then they have a son named Obed and, they, and then Obed has, has a son named Jesse and Jesse has a son named King David. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> I mean, Rahab becomes the great, great grandmother of a king. Do you see that how, and this isn't like, that's cool. This is, this is amazing. This isn't just a bounce. This is a life that has been launched out of a situation that was otherwise pretty dire and into a new life. Do you see it? The God of the bounce. Man. She goes on, she's listed in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. You can look it up later. Rahab. There are some stories of resilience in the Bible, but it's hard to beat Rahab's story when it comes to resilience. So what? So what? What what does this mean for our lives? Why should I care? It's if you want to have a resilient life, if you want to have a resilient home, you should care. Because Rahab had these three beliefs, these three core convictions, these God-given convictions that allowed her to be resilient, that empowered her to be resilient in her life. And if we want to be resilient 
people, if we want to, you know, be resilient homes, then, then we should lean into these three convictions, these three beliefs. The first one is Rahab believed that she was never stuck here. She was never stuck here. What I mean by here, I mean here. She believed from the depths of her being, from her toes, that she was never stuck here, ever. No matter how hard it got, no matter what the situation, she wasn't stuck. People who are resilient, they have this thing deep inside of them that I, I'm never stuck. This, this position that I'm in is never permanent. It's never forever. It may be hard now. I may have to wait for it, but it is, I'm never stuck here. People who are resilient, how are we doing as a society in terms of believing that we're never stuck here? Do I need to point out that our government is literally stuck right now? That our, our you know, the shutdown, stuck. How are we doing personally, individually? The suicide rate, it's not going down, unfortunately. It's going up. People who believe, and there's real mental health stuff going on, and that's all part of it, but there are people who believe that they are stuck here, that there is no hope, that there is no reason to live. They're stuck here. You know, as a parent and as a pastor, one of the messages that I want to be ingrained into my kids and the people who are part of this flock is that you are never stuck here. You're never stuck here. There is always hope. There's always hope. There's always, and you are never alone. I I heard, you probably heard this in the news too, a 21-year-old college football player who who committed suicide. He was gonna be the starter the next year. And no, they don't know what happened. But at some point he felt like I'm stuck here. You are never, if that's you, would you hear this? You are not stuck here. You're not stuck. And, and part of that is knowing that you are never alone. You may think you're alone. You may believe the lie that you're alone, but you are not alone. There's a whole community of people here that would, would say, yes, we're, we're with you. There, there, there are people out there, mental health professionals and other friends and family that say, yes, share your struggles because here's why. We all have struggles. We all do. I do, we all do. And, and it is not a sign of weakness or shame to share those struggles or to invite people into your struggles. It is a sign of strength and hope when you do that. Never stuck here. People who are resilient, they believe that. And the other thing Rahab believed, the second thing is that there's always more at stake. There's always more at stake when it comes to our bounce, when it comes to our resilience. Did you notice that it wasn't just her that bounced out of that situation? It was her whole family, her, her, you know, her relatives, and her whole household bounces out of there. There's more at stake. I love, I, I find these stories to be so inspiring. And some of you, this is your story. Where you grew up a difficult childhood, lots of you know, challenges and circumstances, and, and yet somehow you emerged with resilience, you emerged out of that. And, and, and you're alive and you're breathing and you're living, you know, it, it's ama- you're heroes, it's so inspiring. I have a friend named Lee, and uh, sometime I'm going to have him come up here and share his story because it is incredible. But that's Lee's story. He, he, he had a tough childhood, a really tough childhood. It's hard to imagine being too much tougher than his. And, and yet, he has emerged out of that with resilience. He's a committed follower of Jesus Christ. He's, he's successful in a couple of careers, and, and he has, has become a good husband and a good father. Resilience. There's always more at stake. 
I, I'm, I'm a bit cautious to share that, say this because I don't want it to overwhelm or burden some of you who are in a place where you don't need any more burdens or expectations spoken over you because some of you just need to know that God can reach down in and, and, and your brokenness and lift you out of there. Some of you, that's, that's just what you need to hear. But then there are others of you, you need a little fire lit under your you-know-what. And that is that there is more at stake with your resilience than just your life. There, there are... There are your, your children and descendants and generations upon generations that, that are at stake. Right? Fa- you know, family cycles and curses that need to be broken. You may think, well, I don't even know if I'm going to have kids or I don't have kids. Or, it's, I mean, it's not just about kids. It's people that God wants to touch through your life as you are resilient through the challenges of life and, and is waiting for you to, to make an impact, to bring hope. People. I was at a men's event here at Hosanna on Thursday. Some of you maybe were there and it was inspiring to see so many men saying, yeah, we want to get serious about following Jesus. But the speaker, he said this, he said, there is such, oh, there's such a void in terms of men who are willing to mentor other men. Maybe that's part of your resilience is to bounce back. Women, mentor other women, whatever. It may, God wants to, there's more at stake. Would you hear that? Just like Rahab and Tamar, and Ruth, if they hadn't bounced back, where would we be? Where would the story, the family line of Jesus be? It's always more at stake. And then thirdly, thirdly, uh, Rahab had this conviction that there's always a window. There's always a window. There's always, a, now for her, it was a physical window, right? Hang the scarlet rope out of there and that will you know, keep you from being destroyed and rescue you and redeem, deliver you. But for us, it's a window, figurative window, windows of opportunity. That just like Rahab, she saw that window of opportunity with those spies and said, I'm gonna seize this opportunity. This is a moment I need to seize and step into. Right? Figurative windows of opportunity. They come in big and small ways and God wants to give us eyes to see them and the courage to seize them. <laughs> I think this is so interesting. So the Hebrew word for window it, it, literally, it literally means piercing of the wall or hole in the wall, right? A piercing of the wall. What do you think of when you hear the word pierce? I think of pain. It's, it's one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why I don't have my ears pierced. <laughs> pain, oh. and it hurt. See, make no mistake about it. This idea of resilience and bounce, it's not about... You know, the absence of pain and struggle. We have ups and downs through life and that's, that's just reality. Sometimes people think resilience is just not letting anything bother you and it's never hard. No, 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 that's fantasy. That's not reality. Okay, resilience, it, it means not the absence of pain and struggle, but the ability to go through pain and struggle. That's resilience. That's God-given resilience. Here's another thought about that piercing of the wall. Piercing. Sometimes the greatest opportunities for our bounce back is in the very point of pain, the very center of that pain that we've been through in our lives. I mean, that's the greatest opportunity. That's been true in my life where I've been pierced, where I've been hurt the most. And that my purpose in life has come out of that pain. That's my, my biggest bounce is out of that pain. Yeah, I heard a woman recently, she's a you know, renowned expert on suicide prevention. She's you know, talking about it on the radio. And then she said, and my husband, at the very end, she said, my husband committed suicide 20 years ago. Her pain has become her, 
you know, the source, you know, where her bounce started to happen and where she now has purpose in her life. I, I, I don't know that I've ever had a, a Twitter-worthy quote. This might be. And it's this, a fall creates an opportunity to rise. A fall creates an opportunity to bounce. See, God doesn't see it as it's over, you're stuck here. He sees it as an opportunity to bounce back, to bounce up. Rahab is told to hang that scarlet rope out of the, out the window. And we see it, it's gonna save the house, deliver it. And since the very beginning of Christianity, early years of Christianity, people have seen that red scarlet rope as symbolic of the red, the blood red poured out by Jesus Christ on the cross. That that's where we find our hope is in the sacrifice of Jesus, the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection. And because Jesus has, has overcome the greatest fall in, in the fall of humanity, and because he has performed the biggest bounce back in the history of the world in the resurrection, there is never a fall that is too big. You are never stuck here. There is always a window of opportunity. There is always Hope because of Jesus. There's always hope. Remember, you know that. Because it's like that red rope, you know, it, it's like, I think about it now with this ball up here, like it's like a bungee cord that when we're attached to Jesus, we trust our, our lives, you know, and trust Jesus more and more, trust Christ more and more. It's like we just can keep bouncing. We'll have ups and downs, but we can just keep bouncing. The more you trust Christ, Jesus Christ with your life, the more resilient you will be. He is the source of bounce. He is the author of resilience. And he wants to give you, I, I want, as a pastor, I want you and your household to have more bounce, to have more resilience. I want you to know that you're never stuck here and there's always a window, there's always hope. And may you grow in that as a household, as a person. And we're landing the plane on this series and, uh, you know, in some ways it's gone kind of fast. In other ways, we've said a lot. And, and I just, I was praying about it earlier. I really believe that there's, there's one takeaway for you that you're supposed to take away and kind of lean into a little bit more. Let it sink into your heart a little bit more. Maybe it's that leave tool. Maybe it's the bless tool. You're blessed to be a blessing. Stop blessing yourself and bless other people. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, you're, you gotta wrestle. Keep wrestling with something. You know, and, and it's okay. It's making you stronger. It's helping you find your identity. Let someone else wrestle. And, or maybe it's the bounce. Whatever it is, I wanna pray that in for you here in just a moment. But after I'm done praying, we're gonna sing that song one more time, Build My Life. It's the theme song of this series. I hardly need to say this because you kind of do it anyway most weeks, but, but I wanna say it this week. When we're singing that song, we'll start sitting. When we're singing that song, and, and the spirit moves, when the spirit begins to move in you to the point where you want to say, yeah, I want, I want to say yes to this. I want to say yes to building my house on the rock solid foundation of Jesus Christ. I want to build it on his love. I want to build my, our home, my life with the tools. I want my home to be home made by God. Then, then I would invite you at that point in the song to stand as a response, as a statement to say yes. And as the spirit, not because everyone else is standing, but because the spirit's leading you to respond and say yes. So we'll do that in just a moment. But first, I want to pray for you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are, the God of the bounce. Jesus, you have made it possible.
for each and every life, life in this room to bounce back whatever we may be going through. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that you would sink in those truths and those takeaways that you have for us, whatever they may be from this series, that you may con- would continue to shape our homes and make them into homes that are homemade by God. We thank you, Lord, as we continue to lift up our hearts and sing now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Let's lift up, lift up our voices and our lives to God now.